0: Uh, I have um. I have. a,
1: <laughs> <laughs>
2: <laughs> Football America live and underway here on ESPN Plus alongside Hercules Gomez. I'm Sebastian Salazar Herc. Tyler Adams greeting Weston McKinney, kind of like you greeted me at the airport in Doha, right? That's right, my man. Always gonna be with you. How you doing? Great. Uh, what are you wearing over there? Your shirt looks interesting. I don't
3: know it's where it's from, but interest. this is like a little a bit of the starting lineup versus Columbia, 1994. Um, wow. Yeah, that's I don't, the only noticeable one's probably this guy.
2: Is that Alexi? That's Alexi, Alexi Lalas there with yeah, the red
3: hair. Alexi Lalas right there. But look, that's look at that. <laughs> Look at this guy. Look at those uniforms right there. Mm -hmm. It's a good starting lineup right there. Beauty. A beauty. It's too bad that whole generation's weird, but
2: good Steady. steady. They might say the same about your generation uh, one day. 2010. If you want to listen to us, make sure to check out the Football Americas podcast on this week's edition of the pod. You will hear what we're going to be talking about coming up in this show, and Hercules Gomez, there is quite a bit. We're going to be reacting to Ernie Stewart's departure at U.S. Soccer. Claudio Reyna has also stepped down in Austin. A full weekend of news. We now know officially, Herc, that Copa America 2024 will be coming to the United States as part of a strategic partnership, they're calling it, between CONCACAF and CONMEBOL. As you just saw there, Weston McKinney has made the transfer to Leeds. We're going to hear from him one-on-one with our Mark Ogden. Very impressive there. Plus, we'll dive into a weird debate. Wrexham versus major league soccer huh. that's for later in the show that's for later in the show very it's not just very major, online it's all American soccer let's start with what was going on this weekend out in Los Angeles United States against Columbia second friendly of this January window Kirk chose not to go to this one couldn't be bothered sixth minute. Paxton Aronson with a chance, denied.
3: Yeah, that was my bad. I actually tried going last minute, didn't work out, but this is a good little ball from Walker Zimmerman. This is a good, good run from Matthew Hoppe. The touch should have been a lot more direct to goal, a little bit more selfish. Paxton Aronson, good layoff, just couldn't get enough on
2: it. What's up, U.S. Soccer doesn't like you. They didn't want to get you some tickets. What about our guy, Sean Johnson? He couldn't get you some tickets?
3: No, you know what, U.S. Soccer's fine. Uh, This is a good little combination, by the way. Paxton Aronson, he's gonna want that one back. Oh, the slightest of touches. A second bite of the apple for him. A no go.
2: Paxton Aronson off the post there. 32nd minute. Matthew Hoppy again. Should he have given it up to Paul Ariola there? No, no, no. He should have finished it. Finished it.
3: You got a score there. It's a great ball by Jesus Pereira, who isn't a nine, as you can see. More like Walker a 10.
2: Zimmerman. Corner kick in the second half. Header over the bar. 85th minute. Kellen Acosta. Brendan Vasquez, Herc. Should he have done better?
3: Yeah, he knows it, too. Uh, this is the first of two that he had. This is what you want. You want to come in make an impact that's you right there, and then, uh-oh, you thought they were in trouble. Jalen Neal takes him wide. Should have hit the target there. We stay at zeros.
2: Not a lot of chances for Columbia. The game ends in a scoreless draw between these two teams. Take a look at the statistics. The U.S. Against Serbia and Colombia, so her two games, no wins. What did we get out of this January camp in the ensuing friendlies? I guess a
3: clarity that there should be no more January camp going forward.
2: No more at all. you find so you got zero out of this. Nothing productive happened
3: so. The productive part would be that I realize you should phase out January camp. This is the (laughs) definition of a juego molero. We criticize when the Mexican national team does this on U.S. soil, how they sell tickets for a glorified friendly with their C&D product. Well, this is essentially that. Jalen Neal ended up playing these two games. Jalen Neal's not even played for the LA Galaxy, the 19-year-old. If you want to phase it out and just make it a U23 camp, I am completely fine with that. January camp used to fulfill a need it had a purpose in, in u.s soccer know for the players that you had that were essentially maybe your b players some of your a players and for them to get them going and, and get those legs fresh get, get, get them introduced into this new program if you will but mm. if essentially this is the c slash d team if you will and the majority of your players are in europe what are you really getting out of this you're you're promoting a product at half gas, you're promoting players that not even started their preseason yet or actually a week into their preseason, if you will. So I don't know what you get out of it except selling a gate, except selling sponsorships. I don't know how these players can actually show you something when they're all trying to get into shape. So it's fulfilled its need. If you want to say identify players for the future, make mm-hmm. it a U23 camp. I have no issue with that. Okay. But don't okay. – Don't for one second just be like, hey, people in L.A. don't like these games. I think they're sophisticated and smart enough to know what they're going to get, and they don't go to these
2: games. Right. So your point is that the games shouldn't happen. You're not necessarily about abolishing January camp entirely, right? Because last week on the show, we did this whole segment that the gems of January camp, all the fines over the years, and a lot of them, to your point – were from many, many moons ago, right? We were talking about the early 2000s, but there were some good recent ones. Matt Turner's one, Jesus Ferreira's one, Brendan Aronson is a recent January camp guy. So like, for those guys, there is some benefit. You do wanna see the camp continue. You just think the games aren't worth it. Those guys
3: were gonna get called up regardless. What I wanna see is the next generation or future generations, that's why I have no problem with it being a U23 camp, but if you're gonna show me a 29-year-old Julian Gressel with all Julian Gressel, who's a good footballer, or a center-back pairing in Walker Zimmerman, Aaron Long, I, I don't need to see that. I, I don't know what you get out of that. Listen, Brandon Vasquez, Matt Turner, there's always these gems that you can integrate but potentially have a place in the first team. Mm-hmm. But I think it does you very little to see a combination of CD players, C and D players together, excuse me, and try them out in a preseason glorified exhibition and say, show me what you got. It's almost unfair to those players.
2: The one area, the one area where I think we are kind of missing the point here. If we say there's zero benefit to January camp and maybe even these games, I would even put some more value on these games in this sense is the recruiting We talk a lot about the dual nationals and the guys who have choices of where to play. Remember the game against Serbia? What was it? Seven of the 11 were dual nationals, all still with the opportunity to play for another country. I think these January camp games and the camps themselves and the games, which are non-committal, so it's a non-pressurized situation, it gives guys who still want to keep that door open to another choice the opportunity to come in put on the colors, experience a game. Now, that opportunity would mean more if the guy you were playing for wasn't Anthony Hudson, if it was actually the guy who was going to be in oh, charge look in at the that. future. <laughs> but, but I think it does – I think if we're going to give U.S. soccer credit for recruiting, we have to look at where – I mean, Jesus Ferreira is a perfect example of that. When they called him in, he's eligible for Colombia, the United States. He ends up getting called into camp. Soon enough, he's cap-tied, and he became a big part of the team, not just to qualifying, but obviously – at least for a little bit, in the knockout rounds of the World Cup. There, there's something significant there.
3: There's something significant for January camp, the games, or to bringing these players in?
2: To bringing them in, to getting games. Oh. I, I, and I, I think I think games is a part of that. I think it's harder to pull, pull guys I, away from you know, clubs, I, I just, to I just your find point it about, about pulling guys away from, from Europe. I find it disingenuous if you don't on games, your part,
3: how you criticize and you kill Mexican soccer for the Juego Moletos, but you're okay with this January camp. You don't bring up the... It's it's a, a good way for them to identify players. It's good for the recruitment of the dual nationals. Yeah, we'll but they never call soccer. up
2: anybody new or interesting. They call up the same old guys.
3: T- time out. This is when you that's see. the, the point. The, no, that's that's a lie. This is when you see the David Ochoa the Choa's, the Efrain Alvarez. This is when you see the Julian Oh Dacos. come on! That is disingenuous on your part. Now, I have a I take issue with that. Why is it okay for one and not the other? This is a This is a value to this. Global.
2: I see a value to this. Why do, you to this. See, why do you I don't, see value? I don't care be, if was you was. don't want to play the games, that's fine, because the competition in these games is a joke. It's just like it's the US B or C team, it's Serbia's B or C team, it's, it's Colombia's B, B or C team. team.
3: It's not even. The, so when the majority of your base is now in Europe, what, who are you really identifying? Who are you really looking at here? It's not the same thing as with Matt Turner. I'm telling you, these moments are being phased out.
2: So you don't think that Brandon Vasquez scoring a goal for the United States, wearing that shirt, if Mexico were to ever come calling, that that could weigh on him? You don't think there's a value to that in that, in that tug of so, war and so that recruiting battle for So what you're telling me is you're doing exactly I just
3: want to know. That's exactly what you want. You want this its for, a huge benefit. Yes, I just want to and know. it's a huge
2: part of what the Uni- United States so, needs so, to do. So, so yes, sir. So
3: the fans should continue to go out and trout their hearts, spending or spend their uh, hard money. Sure, if you want to see the future of the program, CND CND team. sure. That's what if you, you
2: believe it's the future of the program, yes. Okay, you believe you, this so, is the future of the so program. So you don't think people should go to January camp? No, games. I'm just
3: curious. Walker Zimmerman, Aaron Long—the future of the program. That's what we're getting at here.
2: Those are two guys.
3: No, Julian the future of the program. That's what we're getting at here
2: that were called up.
3: Paul Arriola, the future of the program. That's where we're getting at here.
2: Brandon Vasquez could be your starting nine. Alejandro Zendejas. Seb,
3: if you want to make it a U23 camp, mm-hmm. okay, I've got zero issue. I take issue with C and D players in preseason and you selling out like a full team. I take issue with that. Now, if fans want to go and spend their money on that, no problem. But don't sit here and criticize the Juego Moleros on the Mexican side and not mm-hmm. criticize these.
2: Okay, Hercules Gomez has spoken. <laughs> Let's see what he thinks about Anthony Hudson. Anthony Hudson, two games, no wins. Has he given you enough, Hercules Gomez, to convince you that he should stay on as interim coach? Because we got some big games coming up. Gold Cup in the summer, of course, but in March, we have CONCACAF Nations League, which we just found out, and we will discuss this later, is actually important because it'll be used as qualifying for the CONCACAF teams that eventually will be entered in the 2024 Copa America. So, Herc, what do you think? Hudson, should he stay on?
3: This is... uh, I see the need for Hudson in the first two games, right? What are you going to go, find Mm -hmm. somebody else who wasn't part of it? Fine, whatever. Uh, But if now... Their skin in the game. If now you're going to coach a team in a tournament, an official FIFA tournament, official CONCACAF tournament, I see no need for him. And what worries me is that Anthony Hudson keeps referring to the program as ours, we. Talking in the tense of when he was with Greg Berhalter. I want to seriously ask if there's communication with Greg Berhalter, if he's taken into consideration Greg Berhalter's word mm. or opinion when now calling these players in. Because you're going along with the same mantra, same identity, same system as when Greg Berhalter was there. Now, if it's Anthony Hudson by himself with the record of 48 games with the, excuse me, with the Colorado Rapids, uh eight wins, ten loss, and twenty eight wins, ten draws, and twenty-eight losses, be good enough to coach the US men's national team? I think not. I understand that you need to go out and get a uh sporting director, Mm -hmm. a GM, whatever the case may be, and then go from there with a coach. And then you have a solid base, an identity, an idea of who you are and who you want to go for. But this makes a little sense for me when there's actually something to play for. And especially when you're talking about the recruitment, because you're very big I'm um, Brandon Vasquez, Sendejas, the recruitment. Mm-hmm. Who's recruiting these players? If I'm one of these top players that has a choice and I see the pro- or I see the, excuse me, the program right now and it's Anthony Hudson, maybe I'm thinking twice.
2: Well, what do you do then, right? Because as you mentioned, we have to figure out what's next. We're going to talk about Ernie Stewart in just a moment, but we're not going to have a head coach until we have a sporting director. Yep. and We're not going to have a sporting director for a while. I think we have to be honest about that. That's not going to be a quick hire, it doesn't look like. So, are you okay with Anthony Hudson through March? Are you okay with him through Gold Cup? And if not, give me a solution. Give me somebody who, A, you'd feel comfortable with, and B, who would take the job. Because its I don't think being an interim coach is that enticing of a job to anyone.
3: Yeah, it's a good question, Seb. And I put it on social media. Like, If they were to give, let's say, a domestic coach <clears throat> the opportunity to coach his club, and then on FIFA fixture dates... Coached national team, whether it's a Jim Curtin or a Steve Cherundolo. Actually, Steve Mm Cherundolo makes a lot of sense because I think players will respect him because of his resume, because of where he's been, because of the national team, et cetera, et cetera. It makes things a little bit more digestible on my part than saying Anthony Hudson's at the helm. And I understand no Brian McBride. I understand no Ernie Stewart. And there was somebody that day-to-day with the European clubs. That day-to-day. Uh, with other sporting directors, with other head coaches, kind of being that liaison, the ambassador, if you will, between these two setups. I don't know how important that is when it's a FIFA fixture date and it's just certain mm-hmm. guys, you just got to get in, get them out for this. Uh, I still don't like Anthony Hudson here. Yeah, It, is, it makes me question a lot.
2: All right, is, is there a value, Herc, to continuity here for Nations League at least and maybe even for Gold Cup with Anthony Hudson, because eventually the guys that you bring back from Europe are going to be the guys that worked under Greg Berhalter, that system throughout qualifying in the World Cup, and also during that time worked under Anthony Hudson. Or are you suggesting there needs to be a clean break? And I think that's kind of what you were getting to towards yeah. the beginning of this conversation. You, mentioned- you want a clean break from Greg Berhalter, even in the interim. I do. You mentioned
3: recruitment. now. I mm-hmm. love that you said recruitment because I think this goes both You're ways. You're just
2: killing me for it.
3: No, 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 no. I'm going to use your words against you. It's not even against you. You're just going to prove my point here. Okay. How important is recruitment and when is it important? When is it most important? January camp or CONCAF Nations League? <clears throat> when would it matter
2: most? Well, Nations League is when you get people cap-tied.
3: There you go. Yeah. So Balogun right now, who's at the tip of everybody's tongue, okay, a dual national right now, if you were able to convince him With an interim coach, that is a win. But if because there's an interim coach that he's not quite there yet, you know what, I'm going to hold off, shouldn't that be a loss?
2: Hmm. I mean, so are we going to judge Anthony Hudson on whether he can land No, 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 no.
3: no. I'm not judging him. I'm telling you, you could do far more harm than good by sticking with Anthony Hudson. What's worst case scenario?
2: Okay. What's best case scenario? Right? Best case scenario is you bring an interim coach in and they land Balogun in March. That's your best no, case no, scenario. no, with that's Anthony Hudson, what's right.
3: best case scenario? He just wins a tournament that the U.S. is supposed to yeah, win or supposed to get out of, I should say, qualify for, because I think if makes it to the final and lose to Mexico, it's a lot of yeah. people would be upset, but you could see that happening, right?
2: I don't think anybody has officially Canada. ruled Anthony Hudson out of the uh, job search, but I think we all know Anthony Hudson's not a real candidate for Correct. this job. Correct, but that's right?
3: best case scenario. What's worst case scenario, Seb? that you don't even qualify for this Copa America, that you lose out on dual Nats. I mean, that's where I'm going with this. And I know that could be far-fetched.
2: And you think there'd be less risk bringing somebody else new in who had no continuity with the. I'm going
3: to say this again in later segments in the future, but think about this for a second, okay? There were reports per The Athletic that players did not respect Greg Berhalter, okay? Mm -hmm. Who he was as a coach, where he's been. For the first time, You have a pool that's been coached by the likes, listen to this, okay? It's been coached by the likes of Pep Guardiola, Mikel Arteta, been coached by the likes of Jose Mourinho, been coached by the likes of, who else, Xavi, been coached by the likes of some of the best coaches in the modern game. Okay? And now you want to try out Anthony Hudson. I say with all the respect to Anthony Hudson. It's not his fault that he's been put in this position. Or whoever the new coach may be. Whoever that coach is, You've got to win that locker room over. It's not as easy anymore. These players have been places.
2: All right, Anthony Hudson then in charge of the U.S. men's national team for now as the interim coach. Let's run it back, U.S. MNT edition. We'll start with the aforementioned Polarin Balogun, his 11th league goal of the season. It comes late as Reims gets a 1-1 draw against PSG. 11 goals,
3: my man. 21 years old. You said it. Duel Nat. Well... U.S., Nigeria, and England.
2: Mm-hmm. Lots of options. Hopefully, he'll pick the U.S. Could sure use a number nine. He wasn't the only number nine that scored in and around the U.S. pool. Ricardo Pepe, his seventh of the season, unfortunately, came in a loss as Groningen fell 3-2 to Bollendam.
3: Yeah, but Ricardo needs to keep scoring. That's his 11th goal contribution in 14 games for the 20-year-old from El Paso, Texas.
2: Bronigan right now, by the way, in last place. Buried in the relegation fight. Another goal, this one from 19-year-old Kevin Paredes, his first Bundesliga goal for the ex DC United man. There
3: we go. Where's he from? South riding, Virginia? Is that where it's at? riding? South Riding? Uh,
2: Bethesda, yeah, but Bethesda Soccer Club shout-out is is.
3: Alright, give him a shout-out. Like I'll tell there. you what. Give him a shout out. I'm gonna give away another part of this jersey. Another one? Where do you keep getting these jerseys, dog? don't worry about that. I'm gonna make sure he signs it as well, all right? Keep an eye out for that.
2: Wolfsburg fell 2-1 to Werder Bremen in this game. To La Liga, Luca de la Torre. With his first La Liga assist, it comes as Celta de Vigo wins 1-0 over Athletic Club de Bilbao.
3: Second start, first assist, that's all I'm saying. Maybe somebody should have played a little bit more in the World Cup, that's all I'm saying. I lost mm. a bet, that's all I'm saying.
2: By the way, a huge assist and a huge win for Celta de Vigo. It climbs them up out of the relegation zone. From Spain and La Liga, which you can watch on ESPN+, Plus, to the Eredivisie, which you can also watch on ESPN+, Plus. Jordi Mihailovic with his first Eredivisie assist since moving from Montreal.
3: All right, like three days ago, he scored his first goal. Now it's his first assist. This was a banger of a game, by the way. Mm -hmm. Insane game, 5-5, he gets his assist. Jordy again, coming into his own in the
2: Eredivisie. Now you mentioned it. Mihailovic with an assist in the 5-5 draw against Utrecht. So this is the same game. Taylor Booth, his third assist of the season. For the 21-year-old uncapped American.
3: Yeah, I'm not gonna lie. This this kid's not only growing on me, he is nasty. Uh 5'5, he was easily involved in four of the five goals for his team. Keeps shining, that's a third of the campaign.
2: Once on Bayern's books, a product of the RSL Academy. As we mentioned, La Liga on ESPN+. Plus On Thursday, it's Real Madrid against, ooh, maybe Eunice Moussa and Valencia. Don't miss it. Coverage starts 3 p.m. Eastern time on Thursday right here on ESPN+. Plus.
4: Now, let's talk about the play of the week. The pressure to follow up hypnotic and cognac weighing heavy on the team.
2: Okay, Herc, big news. Late last week, Ernie Stewart is leaving his role as sporting director at U.S. Soccer to take on a similar job, actually, at PSV Eindhoven in the Dutch Top Flight. Of course, Ernie Stewart. Born in the Netherlands, family still there, so going home in many respects. Stewart was named GM of the U.S. national team in 2018. In 2019, he was named sporting director. Herc, is this good? or bad news for U.S. soccer?
3: You know, all things considered, I don't think it's positive news. Now, he leaves U.S. soccer. The timing is strange, but apparently this decision was already taken. He wants to be closer to his family, Mm -hmm. uh, which is in Holland. Uh, PSV is a massive job. Let's Mm -hmm. not compare the two because I don't think there is a comparison. Uh, I think that's a bigger job, if you will. Now, I know... People want to blow up the establishment. They, they want to just burn everything down. Mm-hmm. But Ernie Stewart, you could question why he was taking phone calls from the mother of a player.
2: Yep. But all things considered. I did. I did question that. That no, is and correct. I, and yes. I, was,
3: I was one of them as well. Right. But we don't know exactly the extent of that. All we know is that he found out sensitive information and he ran it up the ladder. Proper protocol. That's what we do know. We don't know if he was constantly in contact with Daniel Reyna. All we know is he was contacted by Daniel Reyna, found out this sensitive information, ran it up the ladder, proper protocol, and here we are today. Essentially, he did his job, right? He didn't hide anything from anybody. He did his job. Not having Ernie Stewart in this position now, it just sets the U.S. Men's National Team back. It sets, honestly, the search for a coach back because you have to fulfill that role, Ernie Stewart's role, right now, Mm. before you could even get to a coach. You can't hire a coach Mm. and then hire Ernie Stewart's successor. That's not how it works. So now you're gonna have to wait for the person who comes in after Ernie, whichever that person is, they will then go on a coaching search. If you thought it was bad enough having to wait 13 months for Greg Berhalter to coach the Columbus crew before the US Men's National Team got up and going, this is gonna be so much more stressful. Because by the time they get this person in charge, certain coaches that may be actual candidates could be gone.
2: I don't know that I see it as such a bad thing for the US men's national team. I just said it
3: wasn't a positive.
2: Okay, not a positive. I do see some positives here. The negatives are clear, right? There's not an organization in the world that what, just over three years now from the biggest World Cup in its history, and this time I think it's fair to actually say that, would want to have no no head coach, no GM, and no sporting director. That's not ideal. Nobody would draw up that plan. Right. That said, to your point, Ernie Stewart did take the call. He was part of the scandal that is melting down U.S. soccer right now. On top of that, he was part of the hiring process that landed Greg Berhalter in the job, something you criticized quite a bit. Was Okay? Yes. Yeah, Greg he joins the fit. Fe- yes. Yes. You sure yes. Greg
3: wasn't there before Ernie?
2: Yes, I'm sure. Herk. Okay. I'm sure. I'm sure. So Ernie Stewart is part of the process that lands us with Greg Berhalter. Do you have confidence that Ernie Stewart would have landed anybody else? Because remember that process, Herc. Who, who did we end up getting? Greg Berhalter and an Oscar Pareja maybe interview? Right. Like, like it's not like Ernie Stewart had some incredible Rolodex or, or incredible network of context that, that, he could, that he could plug into to get somebody amazing in that job. The, the big point here, Herc, is who are you going to hire to be the next head coach right. of the U.S. men's national team? And I think there probably is somebody out there that U.S. soccer could hire who would have a better list of candidates than Ernie Stewart. Okay. You don't
3: agree? Okay, who? I'm not saying that's not the case. Mm-hmm. If that person is out there,
2: yeah, bring sure, him on.
3: Right. Well, but that's, yeah. that's the thing right now. If you look now, I would love to get away from this U.S. soccer bubble. OK, mm-hmm. one of the biggest problems that U.S. soccer had was a majority of these figureheads being from the same era.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: One of the craziest eras in American football, uh, dysfunctional, if you will. U.S. soccer isn't a world beater. U.S. Mm-hmm. soccer isn't amongst the best in the world. I don't know if they have the funds to go out and get some. They're amongst the best in the world. But if you can, would you yes. not?
2: Yes, of course. Give me a name. Who are you thinking? Who's a sporting director that's number one in the world? I'll throw, if you can pay, if you can pay enough money to stop championing FIFA's stupid ideas, Arsene Wenger would be a great name. Ooh. How about that, Beto? Producer Beto, Arsenal fan. Oh. How about Dennis Teclose? How about, how about a I more love, realistic name? I love Dennis, Dennis Teclose. Teclose I love, worked youth national teams with Mexico. Love the knows name. Knows Major League Soccer with idea. LA Galaxy. Has European he contacts. He would have
3: to get clearance from, I would think, the federation right now or Major League Soccer was tied in the federation because there's still that mm-hmm. investigation. Where I don't think it's concluded with uh, Chris Klein and whatnot. But he's a name that I completely love and I think would be good because he knows lots of market would handle certain – tick mm-hmm. a lot of boxes, right? Check a lot of boxes, uh Recruitment, which you think is a big, big thing right now in U.S. soccer, I think he would check that box. Uh, a Rolodex of international figures, he would check that box. An understanding of the makeup of U.S. soccer, he would check that box. An understanding of their rival, he would check that box. I love that name, mm-hmm. but I don't think you have to limit yourself into a name that's regional. Because you know, he's with Fight Nerd right now, but I really think U.S. soccer is in a track enough job where you can get some of the biggest figureheads in the world.
2: All right. Real quick. Stewart's gone. McBride's gone. Berhalter's out of contract. But Cindy Parlo Cohn says he's still a candidate. It's over for Berhalter, right? There's no way he's coming back with Stewart gone. His allies are all are all gone. Yeah,
3: man. You know, you keep asking me this and I know why. Because right, the producer keeps putting it in the rundown. But
2: I know because Cindy Parlo Cohn keeps saying I, he's a candidate. Saying,
3: he's yelling at me right now I because everybody keeps bringing him up. I've said every single mm-hmm. time we spoken about Greg Berhalter, he wasn't mm-hmm. my choice and he wasn't gonna be there for sporting reasons. I didn't think mm-hmm. he was good enough to lead this team or I don't feel he's good enough to lead this team in 2026. Mm-hmm. You add everything that's happened since the World Cup, in the World Cup, the way he handled it, the symposium, uh, with the news getting out, being leaked, leaked, mm-hmm. and the fallout till now, I don't see how he survives this. It's a PR nightmare. I don't think US soccer would take this on. It would be crazy to take this on. I, I just don't see any possible way of him maintaining that job.
2: I think there's a reason why Cindy Parlow Cone keeps saying he's a candidate. That's because to see. she has to say yeah. that until the investigation is complete. We're told, ESPN has been told, that that investigation should wrap up in the next week or two. We'll keep an eye on what comes of that. Ernie Stewart to PSV. Maybe that'll be a, a good landing spot for Greg Berhalter. No, Speaking there you go. of Greg Berhalter... Claudio Reyna also in the headlines because he stepped down as sporting director of Austin FC. The MLS club announcing Reyna will, quote, transition into a technical advisor role. This comes in the aftermath of the controversy over Reyna's involvement in his son's World Cup participation. Of course, Austin reaching the Western Conference finals last year in just their Second season, Claudio Reyna stepping down as sporting director at Austin FC, Herc. Are you surprised?
3: Um, kind of. Not really. Um, I am because I really didn't think Anthony Precourt cared that much, right? (laughs) But then, (laughs) I mean this, but then you think about it, and this is more like a, hey, go away for a bit. You'll still get paid, right? Mm Mm-hmm. And who knows if you'll come back, but you're still getting paid. Let's wait until things cool down but you're still getting paid. So I am kind of surprised because I guess it's a move, but it's really not a move. It's like, hey, go take a timeout. So I'm not surprised. Did anything really change? He's still, he's getting paid.
2: Yeah. Herc, you always, I don't know how to explain this. You, You always explain how some, some offenses are worth being fired over depending on your performance, right? So if you're like a great superstar and you do something bad, Maybe the club will overlook it. If you're the 35th guy on the death chart and you do something bad, you'll be caught. There's
3: preferential treatment for everybody in the organization. I think
2: from from right. what we right from what we understand here, right? Remember, blackmail was floated on a lot early in this. We've not only seen charges filed or anything like that as far as blackmail. It doesn't appear that Claudio Reyna did anything illegal here. He might have done something petty and scandalous, but he's done a good job, at least on paper, as Austin FC's sporting director. It is surprising to me that they let him go because this would be something where you could have looked the other way. That they they, they allow him to step down. That that does surprise me because this is very much something where if you felt the person was doing a good job, I think you'd turn the other cheek. And it seems like he's done a good job.
3: Well, I think this is them turning the other cheek, Seb.
2: You think they'd they'd out-and-out fire him, terminate contract, if not? Do you think it reaches that level, what he did?
3: Per ESPN's reporting... He sent threatening messages to members of U.S. soccer. There was also more reporting that Rafael Rafael Vicky, uh, when he was coaching the U-17s with Gio, was receiving messages and heat from Claudio Reyna about Gio and what was happening in that setup. So what I'm trying to say here, this isn't something we're making up. This is actual reporting from ESPN. So I I think it's enough where he looks bad. Mm -hmm. Claudio Reyna comes out of this very, very, very bad. And in a sense, if he lost his job, I wouldn't think twice about it. Mm. He may be doing a good job with Austin FC, and that's probably the reason they turned the other cheek. And it's a technical advisor role. He's still getting paid. He's not getting fired. I think that's the reason we're seeing this.
2: Yep. So uh, he reportedly, according to ESPN, sent uh, messages threatening to reveal sensitive information about Greg Berhalter to US soccer officials. Those reports, Claudio Reyna did eventually end up denying. All right, Claudio Reyna played in the 1995 Copa America. Herc, did you know that? I did, good player. Where the uh, US made it all the way to the semi-finals. I won't tell you who they beat in the quarterfinals. We don't need to talk about it. Well, it's official now. Yeah. The 2024 Copa America will be played in the US. CONCACAF and CONMEBOL announcing a strategic partnership centered around the Copa America, which will be played here Next summer, 16 teams, 10 from CONMEBOL, six guest teams from CONCACAF. The CONCACAF teams will qualify through the 2023-2024 CONCACAF Nations League. So it feels like a rerun of the Copa America Centenario back in 2016. That's not all. The Confederations have also agreed to co-organize a centralized Final Four style club competition, which will be played for the first time in 2024. It'll feature the best teams from North and South America. To each, clubs will qualify through existing CONCACAF and CONMEBOL tournaments. So think Copa Interamericana, which of course my beloved DC United won back in 1998. And wait. There's more. That's right. The women's game, 2024 CONCACAF W Championship will feature 12 teams that will be played in the US. And for the first time, it'll feature four guest teams from Conmebol. Those will be determined based on Copa América Femenil results. The eight CONCACAF teams will be the two Olympic qualifiers plus six others. Wow. Take a breath. Perk. Which confederation is getting the sweeter end of this deal? Conmebol or CONCACAF?
3: Strategic partnership. That means they both benefit, right? People Mm -hmm. are getting lost on this. They Mm -hmm. both benefit. They both see value. In the immediate, who sees the most value? It's CONCACAF, right? Because they desperately need, they're hosting the World Cup. The US, Canada, and Mexico, they desperately need this competition. They need the, this brushing of the shoulders, this ironing sharpening sharpening iron with no World Cup qualifiers in sight. They absolutely need this. But in the long term, mm-hmm. to date, the most lucrative Copa America has been the one here in the States, Centenario. They desperately need the financing, the infrastructure. They need the credibility because they've lost so much of that with corruption over the years, in incognito. This absolutely must happen from there and. This tournament, this club tournament, this smells to me like an introduction for Liga MX and MLS into tournaments like Libertadores and Sudamericana. This is Mm. what it looks like. They want a piece of that pie. They want this market. They see the dollars. When you think about Comnebol, hey, Brazil, Argentina, top dog but they're not the only ones in Mm -hmm. CONMEBOL, and they could desperately use some of that injection of finance.
2: So great to see, Herc, that the women's game is included, and and clearly it's well thought out in this. Because if we look in the short term, to your point, from a competitive standpoint, yes, CONCACAF definitely needs this more and gets more out of it. Connebol is a better confederation when it comes to the men's game. It's the opposite in the women's game, right? What Brazil and Argentina are on the men's side, you could argue... The U.S. and Canada very much are on the women's side. So in terms of the competitive, I think it balances out. But to your point, Herc, it's all about the money. And this is not just money. It's infrastructure, too. This isn't like a bunch of countries in South America were lining up, opting to host the Copa America 2024. Ecuador was next up in the rotation. They said we can't do it. They denied it. They turned it down. So the United States is stepping in here with the infrastructure. It's going to be huge. And to your point, man, about that TV market, don't sleep, right? We have seen just how successful international club football can be. And it may not be very big right now, right? Libertadores might not rate huge now. But these South American teams, they see exactly what all the European teams see, which is if you can sell your rights in America, you will have many streaming partners with which to dance. There's a lot of money here. And so you put it, you don't think a River Boca or a River against an LA Galaxy or a Boca against a Club America would rate in the United States or a team from Colombia. We always think about just Brazil and Argentina, but there are there are clubs all around South America Herc, with huge huge followings and those clubs will benefit massively from breaking into the American market.
3: Just saying right now it's a final 4. This is introductory. Mm. You could start seeing MLS clubs, Liga MX clubs, and Copa Libertadores Sudamericanas. I know what you're thinking. I don't think it's too far off.
2: Mm -hmm. Feels kind of like the only way for for these two continents to compete with Europe at the end of the day, right? As Europe pulls away and continues to produce at the international level, Argentina pegging one back, but uh, certainly feels like together is the way forward for North and South America if they truly want to compete at the global level. Let's... Make a sharp U-turn here, these Gomez. To the FA Cup, the fourth round of the FA Cup. Wrexham, of course, the fifth-tier team owned by Hollywood stars Ryan Reynolds, there you see him, and Rob McElhenney taking on Sheffield United of the championship for three leagues up, and two minutes in, Sheffield United jumped into the lead, hurt hey, hey, but it's gonna get better, don't worry. You got one right here, finish it, son. That's right, 50th minute. Ben Toza with a long throw. James Jones making it 1 1. Come on, Ryan Reynolds. Come on, Van Wilder. Get in there. All right, so 1 1, 61st minute. Rexham off the corner kick. Oh, it's a cup set in the making.
3: It is a cup set. And everybody was cheering for him, everybody was waiting for it to happen. It
2: was bound to happen. Got his goal. 65th minute. Sheffield United looking for an equalizer. And they're gonna get it after some pinball wizardry in the box.
3: Oh, pinball wizardly, or just bad defending. Clear
2: the ball! Oliver Norwood making it 2-2, but don't you worry, Wrexham strike right back. Paul Mullen, Super Paul Mullen. Go ahead, Bolly! go ahead, it's over! Football America's going to England! You jinxed it, stoppage time. Sheffield United, 3-3. We're headed to a replay. Wrexham, so close, so close to the fifth round. Blake Lively, Ryan Reynolds' wife on Instagram. Famous actress in her own right, of course. I bought ESPN Plus today just to watch Football Americas, no, sorry. Just to watch (laughs) my husband experience crippling anxiety live worth it how about that shots fired from uh, blake lively she enjoyed watching her husband ryan sweat as did the rest uh of the world many people here in the united states in fact so many that folks online took notice a lot of mls fans specifically seem to be a little bit bothered by all the attention that wrexham was getting over the weekend so what do you think is the attention that wrexham's getting the success That this show has had problematic. Is it bad for MLS? Is it good for MLS? What do you say?
3: I think the American soccer fan base is among the most complex Mm -hmm. and insecure in the world. Now, let me explain why it's so complex. You could be a massive fan of the U.S. men's national team or U.S. women's national team and hate Major League Soccer. Despise it not care for it, think it's subpar, even though that may not be the case, right? Or you could be an MLS fan, diehard MLS fan, and not care about anything else. Or maybe you cheer for other ones. There's so many different layers to this. But to be so insecure about it, it's it's crazy when I think about how young the sport is in this country, modern history, if you will, Major League Soccer, and how it's treated to other young sports, and let's say MMA, UFC. Hardcore fans on the MMA side, they despise casuals. They want nothing to do with casuals. Yet, hardcore MLS fans, they yearn for that relevance. They want casuals to acknowledge them. Look at me. Look at me. We're here. And they say that networks don't do them right. Don't do mm-hmm. them justice. And then This people network. Talk about, they said this
2: network didn't do them right. That's what they said.
3: Hundreds of millions of dollars invested into the sport. I mean, almost 30 years of being a partner with it, and say what you will, that's fine. I don't go for SportsCenter for my soccer <laughs> content. But when you have quality storytellers here in the States, mm-hmm. Kaylin Carr, a good friend of ours, used to do this show called The Movement.
2: Yep, One of stuff. the
3: best pieces of content you can see in American football culture, how far did that go? Things that draw well, guess what? Get attention. And I'm not saying his didn't draw. I'm talking about Major League Soccer in general. If Major League Soccer was pulling in 1.2 million viewers per some games, you don't think things like this would happen? It doesn't mean it's subpar. It just means it's not there yet, and you don't have to be insecure about it.
2: This is not bad for Major League Soccer, right? If you think about it this way, right? Anybody who watches Welcome to Wrexham on Hulu or wherever they want to watch it, if they have any interest beyond the storytelling and the – Local storylines of Wrexham in Wales, right? And the Hollywood glitz and glamour. If they actually have an interest in the soccer, they're not going to go to Wrexham. They're not going to go to the race course ground. They're going to look for a local alternative. If Really, they're into soccer, right? Correct. And the chances are, if they're in a major city, they will find an MLS option near them. So if anything, it could open the door. It's definitely not a bad thing. To your point about insecurity, I think the insecurity here is wrapped up in one very specific item, and it's the idea of promotion relegation and how important that is to the Wrexham storyline. And then the contrast there where you say, wow, what a storyline Wrexham has. And then you ask, well, does Major League Soccer also have the same storylines around it? Look, MLS is never gonna have promotion and relegation. That's fine. That's a choice. The league needs to come up with other storylines, but you can't deny, Herc, that promotion relegation is not only a critical and central part of the Wrexham story and why people are into it so much. In terms of the documentary, It's also critical to the reason why Ryan Reynolds and Rob McElhenney invested their money in it, right? Which is the whole reason why there's a stinking show. So you can't get away from how interesting Wrexham is without acknowledging the value of promotion and relegation or an open system. That doesn't mean that MLS is terrible or that MLS should should go pro-rel or that MLS should go to an open system. It just means that we should acknowledge that that's a big part of Wrexham's success. That's what makes it interesting. They could go up or they could go down.
3: Well, it's not that they can go down. It's how far can they go up? Because you see the investment by these two stars. And listen, if it takes Van Wilder and Mac from It's Always Sunny for you to watch a soccer game Mm -hmm. and that's what you want to do, fine. But I think you've hit the nail, nail on the head here. It's about the possibility of them starting something from scratch and seeing how far I can go, and then two quality content creators documenting said thing. Major League Soccer has done things like this, mm-hmm. but they just don't have the investment from the fans. That doesn't mean you're a bad fan. It just means there are not enough of you.
2: Mm-hmm. Let's see. Let's see. Everybody talks about the Apple deal. That's one of the points. There will be plenty of space for this type of content around Major League Soccer. Hopefully it brings more fans to the league because the investment, as we know, certainly is there. Elsewhere in the FA Cup, Manchester City taking on Arsenal. Ooh, this was the game of the round in the fourth round. Matt Turner getting the start. Nine minutes in, coming out and trying to deal with Erling Haaland, how do he you do, Herc? Look at him, look at Neuer no, right there. Uh, no,
3: that's Matt Turner.
2: It's, it did perfect, kept it out. Into the second half, still scoreless. Kevin De Bruyne sending in the cross.
3: Yeah, he took a a bit of a fall on that shoulder right there, was attended to right after that, but he'd be
2: okay. A few minutes after that, Turner called into question again. Getting down low. That's
3: not an easy save. It looks like a save. It's uh, snuffing out that cross. Very difficult right there.
2: Manchester City
3: would get their breakthrough here. Nathan Ake, is Turner at fault? No, Turner's not at fault. Uh, The defender who turned
2: his back on that is at fault. Manchester City going up 1-0. Another chance late, Julian Alvarez, the World Cup winner shooting, but Matt Turner up to the job makes the save in the end. Manchester City advance. Here we see the fifth round draw, which just went down today. Should Wrexham beat Sheffield United? In the replay, they would get spurs in the next round of the FA Cup. Of course, the FA Cup available exclusively here on ESPN+.
4: This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. Must be 21-plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details.
2: Transfer news, Herc Weston McKinney to Leeds is done. The 24-year-old joining Leeds on loan from Juventus until the end of the season. There's an option for a 35 million pound or $43 million permanent transfer this summer if Leeds stay up. He's the fifth American at the Premier League club, between the squad and the technical staff, joins Tyler Adams, Brendan Aronson, Jesse Marsh, and recently appointed assistant coach Chris Armis. Here he is earlier today.
0: Uh, dream come true for me, honestly. Um, you know, I've been wanting to play in the Premier League for a long time. I think, you know, as a, as a kid coming over to Europe, uh, I grew up in Germany, so my first thought obviously was to go back to Germany. But after Germany, my second second choice was for sure uh, Premier League and. Now I get to live out my dream.
1: You a, dream with a, a team that's got quite a few USA connections. Tyler Adams, you got Brendan as well. And the Colts. I mean, does it feel like a home, from home when you're back in the league?
0: Yeah, uh, for me it does. You know, just to be able to play with, like you said, Tyler Adams, Brendan Aronson for club and for country, um, it makes it a lot more easier to settle in um, with a familiar face around. So for me, I'm, I'm excited to get going because I know how we play together uh, at national team, how we click and how we connect. Um, and ready to have that here as well. So,
1: what do you think you can bring to Leeds? We saw in the World Cup, you know, obviously, good play for the US. So, what can you bring to Leeds in their situation as well right now, running into
0: the Premier in League no, I mean, hopefully, I, I can bring good energy, fresh energy, um, you know, goals and, and defensive work and, and everything, just a good work ethic, and, and hopefully. All together we can turn it all around and, and gather as much points as we can in the second half of the season.
1: What, what did you find out about the Leeds Interest? Because for a while it seems it had been leading Juventus and Leeds was, was connected to the start of the window.
0: Yeah, no, so this, uh, I want to say like two weeks ago uh, was like the first initial um, interest. And for me, I, I looked at it and I was thinking like, oh, OK, well, that, that could be good for me because Leeds fit my style. Leads, uh, you know, they identify with everything that I identify with, and I have two teammates here that, you know, one of them I feel like me and him kind of play similar in a way, uh, and he fits in well. So obviously I made my calls to Tyler, I made my calls to Brendan, to some of my uh, people that I trust, and and asked them about it, and everyone's like, you fit right in. So, yeah. Was
1: it important that they were here, or would you make them with
0: anyway? No, honestly, for me, it, it my whole decision was based on if I fit in the system or not, and can I thrive there, and can I be myself and play my my style of of football. And obviously it was like a cherry on top of the cake having them here as well, Um, so yeah.
1: So what do you know about Leeds as a football
0: team? Honestly, it's going to come surprising to you guys, maybe, I don't watch football at all. Uh, so I don't know a lot about any clubs, but I do know a little bit of the history and, you know, two championships, um, Europe championships. I mean, but other than that, I know the fans are fantastic. I know the, the area is a one-city club, so the support's unreal. But that's uh that's about it.
1: And do you sense is a growing acknowledgement or recognition of Leeds in the U.S. because you've got the players, because you've got Jesse March, and because the ownership has, you know, a San Francisco 49 too as well, are leads becoming a, a big thing in the U.S.
0: Yeah, I. I think so for sure. Uh, Leeds is is a club that, like you said, you have a big American following because you also have American players here, but also I think Leeds is a a well known club around the world in general. Um, But having Americans here and US following as well, I think it's getting bigger as well.
1: Just ask you one question about about the US as well. You go through a situation with coach right now. Do you think, having spent the time in Europe, the time is now good for the US to? look to the European game to hire a you have to keep it in the U.S. and the U.S. coach,
0: U.S. manager? Honestly, I, I think uh, whichever way that situation goes, it, it'll happen. Um, for me, I'm not really biased on whether it needs to be a European coach or American coach. I mean, obviously, we, we did well with, with Greg Berhalter um, as a coach and we clicked and we all connected well and we put on a performance at the World Cup that, uh, that everyone was actually happy with. Um, so whatever decision happens, it happens, and hopefully the players can uh, have an influence as well.
2: Herc, the move to Leeds is official. There's Weston McKinney, one-on-one with our Mark Ogden. He says it's a dream come true. He also said it's a perfect fit. Herc, you agree?
3: Playing in the Premier League for him, yeah, I agree. Mm-hmm. It's a dream come true. Perfect fit. Uh, he's got the playing style to match the frantic pace that Jesse Marsh demands out of that team. I do think it's a good fit. A perfect Mm -hmm. fit remains to be seen. Uh, A lot of factors at play here.
2: Anything else stand out to you about the interview there with Mark?
3: Yeah, he was noncommittal about the coach, about the Mm. future, whether it would be American or European or any of that for that matter. And also, Mm -hmm. not surprised that he said he doesn't watch football. I always find it interesting when footballers say they don't watch Football.
2: How much of an upgrade is this for Weston McKinney? Goes from Juventus, where he was starting pretty much every game, at least since the start of the calendar year. Yeah. Out of the Premier League, but to a team that is, if not in, close to a relegation fight.
3: It's in a relegation fight. I mean, you're 15th place right now, I think three points outside of that relegation fight. Uh, Yeah, absolutely a relegation fight. Uh, If you think about it, Twelve on, from like 12th on, which I believe is Crystal Palace, to 20th, they're all in that relegation zone. So it, it, it's, it's a so dangerous it's a step play. down.: it's a step down? Well, I don't think it can be much more of a step down from a team right now that's in financial trouble that was docked 15 points that's not going to be in Europe next season and it's going to be on a fire cell with the majority of its players. I think it was a natural progression. If you can make it to the Premier League, you made it to the Premier League, but I don't think it's a step down at all.
2: Not, not at all? No. Okay. No. Leads a step up then from Juventus. We're still in Europa League this year, this year, by the way. What does it mean for Jesse Marsh? He's now added another American to the mix. More pressure? Yeah, man. Um, I know we spoke about this
3: narrative last week, Seb. Mm -hmm. But Jesse Marsh comes in mid-season for a very beloved Marcelo Bielsa. And one of the big acquisitions, first acquisitions, was Brendan Aronson. Along with Brendan Aaronson comes in Tyler Adams. And then while they're still struggling, because mind you, they've only won twice in the last, I believe, like 14 games, mm-hmm. okay? He brings in Chris Armis, his buddy, and another American coach. So there's already this narrative building that the 49ers, the American ownership, mm-hmm. Jesse Marshall, the American coach, brought in two of his players and another American coach. And then guess what? He's going to bring in another American over. This is one of those situations where... Now Jesse Marsh has no excuses. It's not midway through the campaign. And he's gotten a chance to really impact this roster, bringing in players and bringing in personnel that he thinks will give him the best fighting chance of staying up. So it really is a lot more pressure on Jesse Marsh, who not too long ago, like literally over a week ago, had to bat away rumors and reports that there was a revolt in his locker room that there were certain players against him. So there's this narrative that he's losing points, not doing well, and now that he's losing that locker room while bringing in the more of an American presence, yes, the pressure is absolutely there.
2: Yeah. You you played with or against Jesse Marsh? Against. Me. Okay. So you know his, his personality well. He seems I do. like the type of guy to run towards the punch. Yeah. I think that's what makes Jesse Marsh great. I think that's very evident in the way his teams play and in it. the way he manages, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. I, I think he might be running towards the punch a little too much here, but that's who Jesse Marsh is, right? It's almost like he's saying not only is an American going to come to the Premier League and succeed, he's going to do it with other Americans. He's going to spend this club's money on other Americans. The other guy that Leeds was linked to for this job was Unahi. Remember the number eight that caught everybody's attention from Morocco at yeah. the World Cup? And he ends up going to Marseille for not a ton of money. So it seems like Weston McKinney was really chosen over some some. Pretty good other options here by Jesse Marsh uh, and Leeds. If that is the case, that's significant. But also, we have to assume American ownership is on board with this. They're not going to let Jesse Marsh do this and then fire him in a couple weeks, right? This is a vote of confidence. This has to be.
3: I don't know how much they'd be pulling the strings here. I think Jesse's got a vote of confidence in in Weston. It's a loan. It's like 1.2 million euros, right? Mm -hmm. But if he plays in like 10 games and they avoid relegation, it triggers that buy clause of like 32 million uh, Mm -hmm. euros. It's a purchase. There's almost 90 million euros on three American players for a team Mm -hmm. that at one point two years ago you thought was on the up under Marcelo Bielsa. And Jesse by no means has made people forget about Marcelo Bielsa, even though he did poorly towards the end and was – let go. So this is one of those where I'm running into the punch like you said.
2: Forget, forget where they were two years ago. Right now they're in this relegation fight and the fans will lose their patience because eventually Leeds is a club that doesn't want to just be in a relegation fight, right? They want to be something else. And if these American guys come and it's either fighting for relegation or, or just barely above that, that's still going to lead to pressure On Jesse Marsh and his job there at Leeds United. All right, Herc, let's check in on some other Americans in Europe. John Brooks, who's back in the Bundesliga with Hoffenheim. He started, played 90 minutes in a 4-1 loss to Borussia Mönchengladbach over the weekend. Got a deal through the summer of 2024, Herc. He's only 30 years old. Um, and he was, of course, left out of the World Cup squad by Greg Burhalter, But do you think he still has a role with the national team moving forward?
3: Listen, <laughs> Tim Rehm has made me question everything I thought about age when it comes to this U.S. Mm-hmm. men's national team. Uh, uh, Tim Rehm, that pretty much played the same amount of time in the last year, as John Anthony Brooks with the U.S. men's national team and per Greg Berhalter was in the same boat being too slow and not athletic enough to manage a high line and yet he made it to the World Cup but he was one of the better players at the World Cup so I'm not discounting John Anthony Brooks uh, making a run for 2026.
2: Brooks stayed straight into the fire against uh, Gladbach over the weekend playing against uh, Joe Scally and Borussia Mönchengladbach they ended up Beating Hoffenheim again by the final score of four to one. More transfer news. Actually, kind of free agency news here. Really, Sean Johnson signing with Toronto FC as a free agent. The U.S. international, of course, spent the last six seasons with New York City FC, where he won an MLS Cup. Also, was MLS Cup MVP in 2021. Johnson a part of the U.S. World Cup team at the last World Cup in qatar the 33 year old now playing for bob bradley and toronto fc from mls to liga MX, diego laines returns to mexico Herc joining tigres on loan from real betis the 22 year old mexican international on a one-year loan this after missing out on the world cup after he failed to catch on at real betis in spain or Braga in Portugal following that big-money move from Club America. He will reportedly earn 2 million pesos a month, Herc. That makes him the highest-paid Mexican player in Liga MX. What do you say, Herc? At 22 years old, have we seen the end of Diego Lainez in Europe?
3: There are levels to Europe, right? Mm-hmm. So you can potentially go to Sweden or you can go to some lower team uh-huh. tier team in, in Belgium and... That is Europe. Fine. But to where everybody expected Diego Linus to be, to mm-hmm. use because the decision was Ajax or Real Betis, that was supposed to be the stepping stone to bigger and better. You're not going to get bigger and better regardless mm-hmm. of how it goes for him this year. The reality here is they want to get rid of Diego Linus, Real Betis. They want him gone. They want his salary off the books. They no longer want him on the roster. And one of the few teams that could take on that salary— And this is the sad part for Diego Linus, is it was Tigres, 2 million net a year. At 22 years of age, Diego Linus, I think if you add up his goal score between national team and club, since he left for Europe, it's like 13 goals, 14 assists. That would make him the highest earning Mexican player of Liga MX right now. It's telling you everything you need to know about Diego Linus and the Mexican setup, that he prefers he prefers to go back to a team where he's well play, uh, paid, but maybe won't play because this is not development. By going to Tigres, this doesn't guarantee him playing time. Now, nowhere will should you be guaranteed playing time. But Diego Linus and a team like Tigres, that's notorious for having money to spend on players and not caring about if they have to play or not. Hey, you earn your way here. If you're the highest paid player on the team and you can't get off the bench, that is on you. We have that type of money. He's going into that setup right now. That is what worries me for Diego Linus and his potential of getting back to Europe, which I see very slim.
2: I hope this isn't the end of Diego Linus and his European dream, but it feels like it. It feels like it, because not only is he coming back, but he's coming back to probably the worst situation possible to make the jump back from, right? I mean, maybe he could have signed at Rayados. Would that have been worse? Cruz yeah. Azul, would that have been worse? I mean, maybe there's a few places that are marginally worse, but Tigres is about as bad as it gets. One, because they're going to be paying him well, more than probably most European teams will want. They'll jack up his value more than most European teams will want to pay. And two, he's probably, to your point, to the point of the graphic that we just saw, hardly going to get the opportunities that would give him the launch pad necessary to get some European attention and eventually get back. I would almost, and I know when this idea was floated a couple months ago, I would almost rather see him in Major League Soccer than at Tigres. Actually, I think I would rather see him in MLS than at Tigres for a chance at maybe returning to Europe. Let's let's forget the European return for a second, though, Herc. Do you think Diego Linus is done? Do you think he's done being a relevant player? Do you think he's done being a national team player, a national team discussed player as he comes back from Europe at just 22 years old?
3: When you look at the options, let's say it's Miguel Herrera. Miguel Herrera was the one who said he wasn't ready to go to Europe. So seeing him in a setup with Miguel Herrera, Mm -hmm. I don't know how that dynamic would work if he'd be to his liking. And if it's Guillermo Almada or or Marcelo Bielsa, which are the two other names circulating in FMF in their orbit, the way they play with that chaotic system, I don't see him fitting in. I don't think he would be that type of player, he'd get lost in the shuffle. And here's the most important thing. Diego Linus is banking on getting a run of games in the CONCACAF Champions League with Tigres. I don't see him being an out-and-out day-to-day starter with Tigres. He's not going to beat out Quiñones right now, who's playing on another level. Nico Ibanez, who they spent $11 million on and who's the reigning golden boot. And André Pierre Gignac, so that front line right there when you look at it, you're not moving any of those three. So where does he fit in? These are things that I really question Diego Linus and his camp.
2: Diego Linus once the young promise of Mexican soccer returns to Tigres on loan from Real Betis. Let's keep our eye on the transfer window as it is closing Hercules Gomez. We've got some late reports today. Multiple reports actually out of Spain that Barcelona are in talks with the LA Galaxy for Juliana Raujo who has also been linked to Porto in this window. The deal would likely include some Barcelona B minutes where he would have Rafa Márquez as his coach. Ooh, that could be interesting there. Potential move for the 21-year-old Mexican-American defender for the LA Galaxy. That's not the only transfer talk of interest. Jedi Robinson has been linked with not just any move, a massive move, the 25-year-old U.S. World Cup left back has been linked to Manchester City, according to reports from Turkish journalist Ekrem Konur. That's a big move, Herc. Jedi Robinson to Manchester City. Of course, we know Joao Cancelo reportedly heading to Bayern Munich. So, Herc, which would be a better move? Juliana Daljo de Barcelona or Anthony Robinson to Manchester City. They both sound like dream moves to me.
3: Yeah, dream moves for sure. I don't know which move makes sense if I'm being honest just on, on styles but Julian Araujo is not the first time we've heard his name mentioned mm-hmm. around the Barcelona orbit and he also came out of the Barcelona Academy here in the States so there there is a little bit of crossover there a little bit I guess of it just makes a bit more sense. That said if he goes it would be as a Barca B player with the intention of moving up into that first team. So maybe it's great for his development with Rafa Marquez and that could be great seeing how that goes. I really don't see this for Jedi. I like, guess there's a few things that don't make sense about this move and, or about this in general. It's this Man city. There's a certain element when it comes to their outside backs and how they play. and and the pedigree, if you will, of those players. I don't know if this makes sense. I think he's a very good player, but he's not known for being quality with the ball at his feet. Mm -hmm.
2: Is there something to be said, Herc, for being a squad player for one of the best teams in the world? Because maybe that's what Anthony Robinson would be. Maybe he's not the ideal left back that Pep is gonna start in 50 or 60% of the games, but Maybe somebody fed Guardiola could trust because this is not the first link that we've heard of Anthony Robinson to Manchester City. There may be genuine interest. Would it be so bad to be the second left back getting big games potentially at a club like Manchester City? One Absolutely injury not. away from starting? Absolutely Because Julian Araujo, this move for Julian Araujo is still acres and acres away, it feels, from first team minutes, right? So, Junior Dest Ooh. is not even getting first team minutes at... at Barcelona, you think Juliana Araujo
3: is? Serginho Dest was like, what, 20 million as a right back? He'd be going, and Juliano would be going as a player potentially for the B team. uh, Exactly. So Dest isn't
2: getting minutes, you think Araujo is? I think think Robinson's probably much closer to minutes here at Manchester City, especially considering the Joao Cancelo news. I I can't just, no part
3: of me says this makes sense from a stylistic standpoint. When I think of Man City players, there's a certain pedigree that come with Man City players, and I love Man Pedigree? Robinson. What do
2: you say? He's not technical enough? Is that kind of what we're getting at here with, with well, Jedi?
3: Well, that's not pedigree, but yeah, I don't think he's technical enough to be at City. Um, pedigree would be more you know, your, your formation, the clubs you've been at, what you've done. Um, I don't think, with all due respect to, to Fulham and, and before that, Everton and, and that academy system, the U.S. men's national team, at 25 years of age, as a left back, would propel you for many to think you're ready for Man City. But if Pep Guardiola thinks he's ready for Man City, who am I to question Pep Guardiola? I'm not questioning Pep Guardiola. I'm questioning the validity of how this actually makes sense. Right. That's what I'm questioning.
2: All right, well, the window closes tomorrow. So we should find out <laughs> soon enough, right? Whether Araujo is going to Barcelona and whether Anthony Robinson is going to Manchester City. Let's run it back with L3 now, Herc. Because we had some goals. Santiago Jimenez, his fourth Eredivisie goal of the league of the year for Feyenoord. El bebote. That's a four league, four
3: Europa uh, for him. That's eight goals total. Hey, gotta start again right here.
2: Man, he's heating up. He's heating up. First goal as a starter for Santiago Jimenez. It comes in a 1-1 draw against Twente as uh, Feyenoord very much in a top-of-the-table race for the title in the divisi. In Greece, Orbelin Pineda, his seventh league goal of the season for Aik.
3: Yeah, that's uh, in the last eight games, five goals, two assists. This man is on fire, he is on another level. A lot, a lot of people, and I was one of them, questioned that move away from Celta de Vigo to the Greek League, but he's been
2: making the most of it. You know who's questioning that move right now? Celta de Vigo, why'd you let him go? AK Athens, 3 nothing winners over Ares in the Greek League. They are right now atop the table. How about that? Memo Choa and Salernitana, not quite atop the table, but they didn't get their first win since Memo joined the club. All right,
3: I saw this crazy stat that their social media, the league social media, Serie A social media put out. Mm-hmm. Since Memo Ochoa started playing in Serie A, he's got more saves than any other goalkeeper in the top five European leagues.
2: Let's go! Baby, Leche, by a final score of two to one. ESPN Plus, your home for La Liga. Wednesday, Real Betis against Barcelona. 3 p.m. Eastern time. Coverage starts right here on Plus.
3: Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us.
4: What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and member FDIC.
2: Parting shot. The National Women's Soccer League is reportedly set to add not one, not two, but three expansion teams. Two to join the league in 2024. Utah, San Francisco Bay Area, and Boston are set to be the next expansion sites with two of the new teams, Herc, set to pay a record $50 million in franchise fees. What do you think about that?
3: Let me know when you're ready for Las Vegas. That's what, that's what I think about that.
2: Oh, okay. Are you promising some seed money, some investment money? We can we talk. Okay. All right. Las Vegas NWSL. I like the idea.
3: But think about this, Seb. Uh... This is ground up. 50 million right now seems mm-hmm. like an incredible number from where this league or versions of this
2: league. Oh, yeah. Were. Just a few years ago, you could get an NWSL franchise for less than 10, maybe even less than $5 million. Now you're talking uh, about 50. Interesting that they're returning to Boston. Of course, the Boston Breakers, a yeah. franchise that never quite got off the ground. Let's see if round two there in well, Boston. New England does is still around in so. round one. There he is, Hercules Gomez, I'm Sebastian Salazar. You had the uh, the eight bit there on your shirt. Yeah, what do you got? I got the scenes from Buenos Aires there. You see El Obelisco after the Argentina's oh. World Cup Championship. Actually in the middle of all that is Messi, her talking about how hard the game against Mexico was because it was the toughest that Argentina had in the whole World Cup. You can check out that debate on the ESPN FC YouTube channel. We just discussed discuss that sad before the son, show. Man.
3: Tell him, Lexi.